Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, I'm Steven. Hey, I'm Zach. And you're about to listen to Zach on Film, in which we talk about the latest Guillermo del Toro movie, Crimson uh, Peak. Right. Should give people a little warning. Yeah, we recorded this, and we didn't really give them a spoiler warning at the beginning, and we are going to spoil the holy crap out of this film pretty much the entire time. This this uh, movie is kind of a mystery, so I would say don't listen to this episode until you've watched the movie, or if you don't give a crap about the movie and want it completely spoiled, well, here's your warning. And with that... Here's Zach on film. Welcome to this week's episode of Zach on film. Joining me this week is the one and only Steven Schleicher. Scary movie time, everyone. Uh, You know, earlier this summer, we ventured out to the theater in hopes to have Pence scared right off of us by watching the remake of Poltergeist. (sighs) And that failed miserably. Yeah, it did. We ran out of the theater. Yeah. But that was because it was horrible. Yes. Uh, But we're back for a scary movie this time. Mm -hmm. Guillermo del Toro's highly anticipated film, Crimson Peak, is releasing into theaters this week. Yep. And Steven and I just walked out of the very first showing. Yep. And now we sit in front of Mike's and we talk about it. Yes. So, Steven. Yes. What... Were your thoughts leading into Crimson Peak? So what I, was your excitement level? So one of the things that, you know, sometimes that when I know that a movie's coming up, I try not to pay too much attention to it. Now, mm-hmm. we've seen the trailers for this before, and it looked uh, rather intimidating and scary. So sure. I was like, eh, I'm not really a big horror fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't really pay much of anything else attention to it, except that it looked really scary. It looked like there's a lot of blood everywhere, and the title is Crimson Peak by uh, Guillermo del Toro, and that's all I went into it right. thinking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, were you? Yeah, I really like this movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, That's good. I don't know if it's for, every, I mean, it's not a horror movie, right? Not in the traditional sense of what we see no. today with like the paranormal activities and the other gore porn type mm-hmm. hacker slash him up Freddy Krueger type stuff. But it is a classic horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think um, Del Toro even said that it's a ghost story and gothic romance, which Sure. I think is perfect mm-hmm. uh, description of what this movie is. So if you're going into it thinking that it's horror, scary stuff, it's it's not. But it's it's in it's in the same vein, and we can talk a lot about um, foreshadowing and metaphors and all that stuff here in a minute. But at the very beginning, uh, our heroine, uh, what's her name, Emily, or whatever her uh, Edith, 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 yeah, uh, is uh, say she she wants to write. A story that has ghosts in it, yep. and everyone's telling her she needs to write 
a ghost story that's a romance, and that's what this is. And so it's – I liked it a lot. Okay. You, I take it you didn't. I left the theater underwhelmed. Really? I was high, I was really looking forward to this movie, even though I'm not a big horror guy. Mm-hmm. This wasn't that, but right. it was – it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be or – Maybe I just didn't think it was as good as I thought it was going to be, because I've mm. never really watched any Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Have you not seen Pan's Labyrinth? No. And so I've only heard like these amazing things about him, Have really. you watched? You haven't watched Kronos, either? No. I think you probably ought to at least try those. Now, Kronos, I think, is the most graphic mm-hmm. of, the, of these type horror-type films yeah. that he does. Um, Pan's Labyrinth has is, is got some very scary moments... But really, the aesthetic that Del Toro brings to this picture and Hellboy and Kronos and uh, Pan's Labyrinth are all there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it a little unsettling for people. So, I mean, so I don't think Crimson Peak is a bad film. No. By any stretch of the imagination. Right. I, I think it was a visual thing that mm-hmm. was very nice to watch. Mm-hmm. I loved the feeling and the aesthetic of the entire piece and, mm-hmm. and, and the cinematography I thought was exceptional. Right. Um, but through the storyline, I was very, when it was, I was waiting for a moment. So the story is, uh, Edith is this, uh, rich man's daughter mm-hmm. who aspires to be an author. Mm-hmm. People telling, Oh, you, you write something, not this, right. Write, write a love story. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Mysterious young man comes into town. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fall in love. Uh, a murder happens. Uh, Edith's father is killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he was against this marriage between Edith and uh, Thomas. Thomas Sharp. Sharp. played by uh, uh, Tom by Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston. Um, they get married. They move back to England, and they move into his house with his uh, uh, a sister. Mm-hmm. Lucille Sharp, and you know weird things just keep happening. More ghosts are popping up in Edith's life. Life. She starts to uncover past mysteries of these these Sharp people, and uh, you know, it all comes down to a bloody end early at the end. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: I think this movie sets everything up way at the beginning. I mean, in the first act. Oh my gosh! Everything. Yeah. Everything you need to know about this movie is set up. You know, who's going to come and save her in the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, her, um, former love interest is the optometrist mm-hmm. fancies himself, a Sherlock Holmes, uh, aficionado. Sure. And he's the detective in this piece. And he kind of starts putting things together before he goes in, uh, in the, uh, in the third act. Uh, Edith says that she wants to uh, become an author like Mary Shelley mm-hmm. uh, and uh, be a widow, right? And she gets her wish. She wants, uh, she gets, you know, exactly what she wants uh, in this. It's almost like a wish fulfillment movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we find out the creepy relationship between um, Sir Thomas and his sister, right. uh, which is, you know, if uh, incest bothers you, you probably do not want to see this this movie. Um, but hopefully you're listening to this after seeing the movie, so it's not spoiled for you. Although, <laughs> oh, it, my, either when it when yeah. it, when they first uh, appeared together, the first time that we met uh, Lilith, the first thing that popped in my mind is either it's already his wife mm-hmm. that's going uh, under an assumed name, or that's his sister, and there's going to be some weird shit going on between them. Yeah. So it's 
it's not that it's not that shocking. I don't. So, think. so here was my problem with it setting up everything, and I go, "Oh, yep, we've got a uh, Jamie and mm-hmm. Cersei situation going mm-hmm. on here. Mm-hmm. That's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to come save her. Right? Things are going to go bad. Right? Um, and so I was expecting more. I guess." him to give us all these signs and then judge us in a different direction oh no i don't think so because that's not i mean it's not really that's not kind of del toro's thing i mean even pacific rim was very much it's exactly what you think it is Mm -hmm. it's robots fighting monsters right yeah uh pan's labyrinth is maybe a little bit more skewed to the imagination and what could happen chronos you figure out by the middle exactly what's going on with with the person uh, Hellboy, you know, you pretty much, I mean, that's an adventure type film. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing surprising here. I mean, there's some great visual elements where they, um, where Lilith and, and Edith are talking in the park and we see all these butterflies that are dying. And, and Edith says, or Lilith says, well, at the, at our hall, uh, we have these butterflies, but they don't live long because the black one, these black moths that inhabit the entire mansion, mm-hmm. uh, kill them first. Well, the minute that Edith arrives at, um, all what is it? Aldale Hall, Alderman Alder, or, yeah, whatever yeah. it is, the hall that they that they live in. Um, she starts wearing yellow and black. Mm-hmm. She represents this butterfly that's going to be killed. Um, uh, Sir Thomas wears nothing but black mm-hmm. in this piece. He is the black moth that is preying on these other butterflies. Then we have Lilith, which is wearing dark blue throughout the film, and so you may be thinking, okay, well maybe. She was really talking about herself until you get to the end when we see her in her bedroom and above the fireplace uh, is a blue butterfly encased in uh, glass. It's been pinned down, trapped. Uh, and so it's a perfect, uh, again, metaphor for or visual aid or storytelling element to point us to Lilith as that as that butterfly. So these kinds of things, once you see them set up, once you see that this is a. Uh, to an extent, a, uh, a Frankenstein, Mary Shelley version of Frankenstein, a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle detective movie, and some gothic horror in the Guillermo del Toro way wrapped up. I just sat back and I just enjoyed it, saying, mm-hmm. okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Let's let's follow the, the uh, girl detective as she figures out what's going on and her life is in jeopardy the entire time. So I thought it was incredibly mm-hmm. fun from that from that aspect. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up on the uh, butterfly and the moth and the colors and? No, that was that's really good. I didn't. I just mean you noticed all the black moths right, throughout right. there. That's really good. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Um, and so maybe I went in to this movie with the wrong mindset. And I think, unfortunately, I think that's what the audience. I think went that's in what too, it is. Because as we were leaving, I heard people just kind of like groaning about, yeah. "Oh, that wasn't so good," or laughing at the well, "That was weird," or whatever it was. But it's exactly because what it, it is. It definitely is. Um. And maybe maybe it was marketed wrong because it's definitely so. a very traditional mm-hmm. type story, mm-hmm. which was nice. But when you go in to think, oh, modern horror movie set in Victorian era, which mm-hmm. is kind of how it was pinned mm-hmm. with ghosts and stuff, mm-hmm. this is not the movie because there's really scare factor, very limited. Yeah, and there are some certainly mm-hmm. some some creepy creepiness. Yeah, there are some ghosts that come around that uh, try to warn Edith about yeah. what's going on, and they take on various shapes and forms and and grotesque factors. Yeah, but I I didn't think that the gross was over the top, and I didn't. I mean, this was not. Um, 
I mean, there are some moments like when people get stabbed and they pull out a blade and blood starts squirting yeah. everywhere. But um, there is a ghost in a bathtub that's had a cleaver through her head and she gets up and walks around and she's, you know, falling apart and rotting. And mm-hmm. But it's it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to throw up. This is so gross. There's right. like there's an aesthetic to mm-hmm. to everything that we're looking. Oh, at. yeah. And speaking of the dead people, I thought visually were mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. That like wispy nature of mm-hmm. their essence kind of and then you mm-hmm. can like look through it and see their mm-hmm. form that's all decrepit and stuff yeah, was yeah. wonderful. It's really cool. And yeah. The thing that and I was looking um again just before we were recording while I w- was waiting for you to get back here. Uh he says that Del Toro, uh, this is over on the wiki page, Del Toro wanted the film to honor the grand dames of the haunted house genre, namely Robert Weiss's The Haunting, J Jack Clayton's The Innocence. And um, movies like The Omen, The Exorcist, and The Shining, which this movie is very much like The Shining in the sense that, and you've seen The Shining, right? Have you not seen no, that? No, I've been okay. too scared to watch it. I have it. It's, I have it. It's so on my here's Apple the TV. thing. Here's the yeah. thing. It's like this movie in okay. that the hotel that they stay at in The Shining mm-hmm. is a big set piece, and that set plays into the story, mm-hmm. just like the mansion in Crimson Peak plays a major role in the story. It's sure. falling apart. It's sinking. It's um, what was it House of Usher? I think was the Poe story yeah. where the house was sinking, mm-hmm. and uh, so it brings a lot of those those elements and vibes in there. So yes, once now when I was reading this, in hindsight, I was like, yes, this is very much like The Shining, mm-hmm. including uh, they don't have a hedge mace at the end, but running <laughs> through the snow at the end is another big uh, element. And I, th- I think Del Toro did a did exactly what he wanted to do mm. in this piece. Uh, if that's what he wanted to do, he accomplished it as far as I was concerned. Mm. So um, even to the point where in, you know, at the beginning of our theater going experience, we always talk about our theater yeah. <laughs> where it's like, what are they going to script this time? Well, when the movie started, it was when they were running the trailers, it was clear. Oh, wait a minute. They have not set up the projector right and it's mm-hmm. cropped off at the bottom and the theater manager was there watching the movie and he jumped up and dropped the curtain so that it would uh, reveal more of yeah. the screen <laughs> And then, of course, we're watching everything in a nice, wide uh, 185 format and everything. And then the minute the movie starts, it filled the entire screen. Yeah. And it's not a 16 by 9 ratio. It was not an Academy 285. It was not a 185 aspect ratio. It was almost a square format. It wasn't four by three, but it's very close to that. So do you, Oh, and I think that there's a reason for that, but I was going to ask you what you thought the reason for that was. Oh, I thought, I thought the theater theater screwed up. Oh, okay. I I honestly thought the theater screwed up in the projection, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but what, what do you you think it was on purpose? Oh yeah. Okay. Because, uh, Del Toro uses a lot of iris wipes in here. Yes, he does. Which is, uses that transition is used to show a transition in time and location and place. Here, it's used as an homage to, and what I think, as an homage to the movies of the early film days where mm-hmm. you used an iris wipe to wipe out. And in the early film days, we had a much more square aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was using that more square aspect ratio to kind of give us that feeling of an older period uh, movie. No, that makes sense. I'm trying to see if anyone has it listed. What that ratio is, but I don't see it. Uh, it's probably, is it not on the IMDb? No, I, I mean, I'm on the mobile, so I don't always get Okay, as much. I'll look here as, as you um, talk about Yeah, so stuff. I thought that the theater just screwed up. But it would be interesting because Del Toro certainly Oh, no, this uses, is 185. Really? 1.85, yeah. 
So they just screwed up? I don't think so. I think we oh, saw no, it. No, okay, I yeah. think they I think they showed it exactly the way they huh. needed to show it. Interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting because he certainly does use the iris wipe a lot. And I thought he used it effectively because mm-hmm. he, he does a lot of interesting transitions. He does a lot of linear things that mm-hmm. are kind of masked over mm-hmm. to uh, different scenes. Um, yeah, I, I totally don't think it was a... I think that's. I think we saw it because there was nothing shooting off the edges. No. Once the movie started, there was yeah. nothing shooting off the edge. So that's how it was framed up. Well, so because you know, I I think it really is my problem with the film was the mindset going in because the I thought the pacing of the film mm-hmm. was incredibly uh, well done. The cinematography was great. The visual effects plus the um and the special effects, visual effects because mm-hmm. a lot of practical stuff i'm oh, sure yeah, a yeah. lot of those bodies especially coming out of the tub were some actors and then oh, some stuff on top of it maybe some yeah it, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i'm sure it's probably some capture like, type yeah. stuff yeah um and then just the house in general mm-hmm. was uh really well done i honestly thought our theater was pumping in extra cold air because i was freezing <laughs> it was and cold that house <laughs> seemed like it would be very drafty yeah considering part of it it's just uh, was rotting off on the top yeah. and then uh, Edith decided to leave the doors open when she's like, oh, I'm going to faint <laughs> on the stairs. I'm going to leave the door open. Uh, she deserved to get stabbed for that. That would have made the house very cold. <laughs> well, um, the, the the house is in such disarray because the um, the Sharps have lost their family fortune. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have in the past mined the clay at the estate, but the father, you know, uh, fretted it away or lost it in, in a bunch of different ventures. So they're very desperate for money and the Sharps are going around and they're marrying uh, these people that have no relatives so that they can get the fortune for themselves so that they can continue on. Mm-hmm. And that's where Edith kind of uh, shows up as this girl who might be the next person. But unfortunately, um, Sir Thomas Sharp falls in love with Edith against uh, Lilith's wishes. Right. And that causes problems in, in the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the house does play an important role and, and the roof has just over time has corroded away. There's rotting walls, mm-hmm. there's, uh, clay seeping up through the house and right. there's parts of the house where it's actually physically flowing down the yeah, walls, which makes the house down the basement. Well, no, I mean, um, walls. in the third act where they're standing in the foyer, uh, going up to the steps, you can see in the background, there's like clay mm-hmm. oozing out and down the side of the wall. Yeah. Almost like the house itself is bleeding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's very, it's very, it's very Poe-esque in its, in its uh, portrayal on it. I just found it wonderful. The other thing that I liked and I'd like to get your input on is the super limited color palette in this piece. Mm. We have red, black, white, and maybe it's not super limited, but there's red, black, and white are your main yeah, colors. Then you have blue mm-hmm. and a little hint of yellow, mm-hmm. but and then orange from fire. But that's it. That's Those are your that's yeah. and and you know the the house itself. There's nothing else in the house but black. The outside of the house is completely black. Mm-hmm. The snow is white, and then it becomes stained with red. And it's I just found that very fascinating. Yeah, as well. I really enjoyed that palette, especially and it was very evident that we had been in this situation. Or the color palette had been limited, where it's mm-hmm. all these dark hues mm-hmm. uh, towards you know the end of the second, beginning of the third, because then we do a wipe out of 
the Crimson Peak area to right. the, the township, mm-hmm. and it almost looked like the white snow had like this brown because mm-hmm. you come out mm-hmm. of this super dark thing. You get in there, like, yeah. are we like? Did he like throw a sepia, or I, is I it just like so. I think it's just like thing? Of, no, like, I think color it, I think transition. it was part of the color transition yeah. where we're so used to it. But yeah, you know, when the first time we go back to New York and we see what's going on with the doctor and the lawyer. Um, everything is kind of brownish mm-hmm. and kind of washed out, and the town is kind of brownish and washed out. And yeah. I, I, I would bet it was very intentional. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, that's what I'm saying. The, the, the visual aspects and the detail put in to that part of the film mm-hmm. it is incredible. Right. Like it is so so well done in that aspect. It is like that first shot of her in that white snow and she's in the white and then she just mm-hmm. has that like little bit of red mm-hmm. on her just mm-hmm. sets up the film yeah. incredibly well and then you're you, you you get that more of that white to come in towards the end with the snow and the snowstorm mm-hmm. and it's like mixing with the the black and the red mm-hmm. uh it just the visuals of it were just yeah incredible. this is i thought this is a man a good mystery mm-hmm. that you have to solve it this is not house on haunted hill or you know uh house of a thousand corpses or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I, I think people, if they go into it knowing that, yeah, they'll have a better experience. And maybe if you would have, maybe if we both would have known that we would have yeah. had a different experience. Cause I kind of went in with, I don't really want to be, you know, super, super scared. But yeah. then once I figured out what it was, it, it followed all of those little ideas exactly. And I was very pleased with mm. it. So is it something I want to see again? I might want to go see it again or definitely rent it when it comes yeah. out. I think I definitely want my wife to see it because I think she'd have this kind of the same reaction she did after she watched Gone Girl of, mm. oh, my God, that was super <laughs> freaky, super trippy. Yeah. Um, but I'm this is not a movie that I'm going to sit down and say, OK, it's scare night. Let's watch this. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, do you think this film would you take it back 20 or 30 years back into that time period, the 70s, 80s? Do you think this film would have do really, really well at that time period or do you need no, to go back but farther? Have you ever watched the other I think it's called The Others. It's the um let me find it here. The Others. This is a two thousand one Nicole Kidman movie where she is in a house and there are some creepy ghost kinds of things and she starts to think that the house is haunted and spoiler if you haven't seen the others. But in the end we find out who's really dead in this piece. Uh-huh. I don't think I've seen it. Okay, it's very. This movie kind of feels like that, where it has some, the uh, the others has a few more jumpy moments in it. Okay, but as far as the slower pace and the mystery that you're trying to find, um, Crimson Peak kind of fits more in with this. If Crimson Peak can come out in the '80s, I don't think it would have been well received at all. Um, I think too many people would have compared it to The Shining. Oh, okay. Uh, and they probably would have said it was a it's a failed attempt at trying to recreate The Shining. Mm. But that's in hindsight of where we are now, sure. right? So uh, I think it's – I think the movie succeeded. Um, if this movie had come out – so in the development of this, right after Del Toro finished Pan's Labyrinth, he wrote the spec script for this movie. So this one has oh, been around okay. for a long, long time. time. And I want to say that um, 2006 is when Pan's Labyrinth came out. So this movie's been sitting around, or the script has been sitting around for almost nine years, yeah, ten yeah, years. Uh, and so, it when I was watching this, I had some thoughts of this feels somewhat Pan's Labyrinth. And again, it's Del Toro, and he has a very sure. specific aesthetic as far as the stylization of everything goes. Um, but it it felt just like that. Mm. It felt like a Del Toro movie. Okay. So 
I'm happy. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I, I thought no, it was that's good. Real, real happy with it. I kind of like the themes and the messages that were running through it. The setups, which are telegraphed a mile away. Yeah. I, I mean, I, were I, you? I, I mean, think that's my problem with it. Like, it was so, it was almost too predictable for me that it took me out of it because of, it wasn't even like foreshadowing. It was like, here's a, a two by four with the mm-hmm. upcoming plot points and we're going to smack you with yeah, the yeah. first 15 minutes of it. Um, but I want to say you all, om- this movie almost needs that. Mm. It almost needs all of those little setup pieces to hit you over the head. And it's been a long time since I've read my Sherlock Holmes or my Poe, but sure. you know, we see a lot of those kind of, if remembering correctly, if you need to solve the mystery, you need to have some of these things set up ahead of time so that the detective just doesn't show up the last minute and go, aha, yeah. this is what's going on. So I thought that that was, you know, the, the, I, I but think, I would agree with, I would agree with you that it does hit you hard over the head so that yeah. if you don't get it by the, by the middle of the second act, when you find oh, out gosh, she's being yeah. poisoned, then you know, something is going on. Right. I, I think, mean, there's something you need to go check out yeah right? <laughs> yeah I, I i think the reveal of his three other wives was done really well and at that yeah. point i guess you if you didn't throw all your eggs in the basket of the incestual relationship mm-hmm. between the 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 two sharps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point you would know because you know that thing hit uh edith's father finds out the beginning could right. have been oh they're they're married and right. that's why you're gonna run away that's, and that's what i thought too okay it was that that they were married mm-hmm. and that she was po- po- posing as his sister no see i just when they just said it's his sister i'm like i'm just gonna assume this is his sister and like they're just being mm-hmm. doing woohoo stuff yeah, yeah, yeah um and they do yeah they do so i did think that reveal with the uh with the gramophone in the wax cylinders. Yes, that was, was really awesome. It was, it was nice. Yeah. Um, so that played really well. And I think, you know, it's just like how much of the ghost stuff got played into it. Mm-hmm. And for it to not really come up at the end besides like oh, I think dead. No, I think that was perfect dead. for that to come up. Right. But I, I thought something would come up out of the red tanks oh, or, you mm-hmm. know, that we saw that or mm-hmm. something was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like a ghost uh, yeah, I th- make I th- a move or something. I could see in this, they set up the ghost though very well in this piece because as they're discussing, discussing the ghost photography and her interesting ghosts, mm-hmm. they pretty much say only certain people are going to be able to see these mm-hmm. ghosts. So had they had the uh, crazy sister been chasing down our he- heroine and suddenly the ghosts rise up and, drag her down into the uh into the um uh, clay pits mm-hmm. that probably would not have been as satisfying as adding in that last little bit of romance where mm-hmm. the dead husband comes back to save her or at least yeah. give her the option to uh save herself that one is a little bit more fulfilling of a of an ending for me mm-hmm. okay so i i did think the the turn of uh, uh, sharp turning on his sister mm-hmm. for to protect Edith was well done because mm-hmm. you know Edith is the last straw really, uh, and before her back get broken, which is a whole other well, weird. See, the, her back plot. isn't broken, you know. She hit it yeah. and broke her leg. Legs. but then she's walking okay. around pretty okay on that broken leg. Yeah, that was that was like isn't did she just fall like, like three, three stories, stories and yeah. break a leg and yeah. like land? I guess we'll look past that. Um, but in that moment when she, you know, you get the, 
them caught in the act mm-hmm. of uh being uh sibling lovers um <laughs> you don't you don't know if he really is gonna be true yeah, to yeah, Edith, yeah. yeah, and so that him going against his sister I thought was really nice and then that was the ugh, made my stomach turn the most when she right, shoved right. a knife oh, through, yeah, his, through face. his face that was probably the that's probably the most intense now you know there are ghosts walking around with their intestines hanging out mm-hmm. and there are some pretty scary moments there but the most disturbing for me where I actually had to look away for the moment was when the knife goes into his yeah, into his skull was, and it was just like ugh, and then he pulls it out and it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know uh Aubrey didn't come to mm-hmm. watch this because in the previews, it looks scary. It looks terrifying. Right. And I don't know if she'd still be gung ho to watch it because there is still some creepiness to it. Do you it. think you would want her to watch it? Do you think it'd be fun to go with her to watch this? I I would like to see what her take on it is mm-hmm. because it's not as scary. And I think she might, that might make her actually like it more mm, okay. um, to see what her thoughts are mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. it. Um, I'm actually really interested to know what everyone's thoughts on it are. Is see oh, if, yeah. if people are disappointed yeah. going, coming out of it because it was so, it was just so marketed. I think so wrong. I, I, eh, maybe to an extent. Yes. You, I mean, would you have marketed the same well, see, way? So pan's labyrinth was somewhat marketed this way as kind of being this horror kind of adventure story. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out to be something totally different than the commercials and the trailers that you see for it. Mm-hmm. So I was a little disappointed after I walked away from pan's Labyrinth because I was expecting, Ah, and then I go, mm. you know, I was expecting something in the vein of uh, a little bit more intense than Hellboy. And I got something that's totally different than that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So here's what um, here's what some of the critics around are uh, saying. The New York Times is saying uh, rotten. The film is too busy and in some ways too gross to sustain an effective atmosphere of dread. It tumbles into pastiche just when it should be swooning and sighing with earnest emotion. Uh, let's see. NPR says, uh, fresh for genre mavens. The experience is like witnessing the revival of a lost art form. Mm. Uh, Boston globe says, uh, fresh del Toro's create, uh, del Toro's creativity. The joy he finds in splicing together pieces of the movies and books and characters. He loves is hard to resist. This is a film that believes deeply in ghosts and half of them are in its director's head. Um, Arizona Republic says fresh. Is it too much? Oh yeah. But if you like this kind of thing, too much is never enough. Uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune says, uh, rotten, the gothic horror opus is melodrama most foul. And I mean that in terms of uh, concept and execution as well. Uh, Sky Movies says rotten, uh, it's story that loses momentum. The narrative lurching unsteadily towards the denouement in a story that perfectly illustrates that looks aren't everything. So you got some conflicting reviews, uh, from the critics, uh, right now, the tomato meter is reading 67% fresh. Mm-hmm. It's getting a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, IMDB listed as an eight. Ooh, no, it's Pan's Labyrinth. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> let's get back over to Crimson Peak, a 7.6, which is actually up from what it was when we started recording oh. because at the start of this recording, it was a 6.4. Oh, wow. And now it's actually gone up to 7.6. Oh, Everyone's getting home from the everything's yeah, everyone's getting <laughs> home from the theater. So, what'd you think of the acting? Uh I was really good with the acting. Yeah, and see, this is what I've, everything we talk about. I'm like, no, oh, it was really good. I think yeah. it's just my mindset going in. Mm-hmm. I thought Tom Hiddleston did great. Mm-hmm. Uh, midway through the piece, I go, if they ever do a remake of Sweeney Todd, yeah, he should he be he should be, be Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah. What, and again, I watched the Daily Show before we went and watched it, mm-hmm. and he was on there. Mm-hmm. Tom Hiddleston is like short hair. 
But every film he does, it's like a long black curly long hair. Mullet. He looks so much better with short hair. Yeah. Um, just because that Chastain was great. I, I thought she really was, was great her. as I didn't realize Lucille. It was her yeah, because doesn't she normally got a red red hair? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she was terrifying. Like her whole persona as uh uh the sister mm-hmm. is scary. Mm-hmm. That is the, the probably the scariest part of the film is just watching her interact with Edith. And her just being super creepy, yeah, just being super and like creepy, forcing and like, poison on we her. We gotta kill her. Yeah. What's What's really crazy though is she's you know, was it just last week or two weeks ago that we saw The Martian? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, because she's yeah. in that too. Yeah. So it's a good good year for her, I guess. Although if you look this year, she's only done two movies in 2014. One, two, three, four, four movies in 2014. I always so, feel like she does. She does a lot. She'll like she'll have like one film come out and then she'll have like three more following mm-hmm. it. And they're all they all do fairly well. So yeah. she does good work. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Mia, what's her last name? Yeah, Waza I'm, gonna Kals- let you, I'm gonna let you jump on that. Waza Kawaski. Waza Kawaska. Waza Kawaska. That's how I'm gonna say it. She when I first saw her, and she's been in a lot of stuff. She was in uh, Alice, uh, the Alice in Wonderland. She was in Jane Eyre. Um, oh, she was in the other thing with Tom Hiddleston, wasn't she? Wasn't that Tom Hiddleston in that? Yeah, the uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, and in Alice in Wonderland, the kids are all right. Uh, Amelia. When I first saw her, though, she looked a lot like uh, the girl from the Goonies. That's who I thought it was when oh. I first saw her was yeah. uh, uh, Martha Plimpton. Uh, she looked a lot like her when mm-hmm. I first saw her, but I thought she did a great job in this. And she doesn't play the weak you know, the weak heroine. She's no. a very strong character. Yeah, that's and what I, I was worried. This is what I was worried about in the, th- in the film. I thought they're going to give us a really weak ass explanation of the ghosts at the end, which they never did, which was nice. Right. There was no horrible explanation of ghosts and why mm-hmm. they were being all creepy. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, she did not need Mr. Detective Man to come save her. No. Nope. She was a very strong smart character throughout the entire piece. Although I think a lot of people would argue that the white knight did show up at the end to save her. And I, that was kind of, no, there's certainly that kind that, of ruins it. Yeah, but. there is that. And I mean, he, I guess if you look at tropes, he, that mm-hmm. happens and then they kind of throw it for a loop where he yeah, gets destroyed. He, to, he gets, yeah. I mean, he, he needs pretty much help. dies. And, um, then she beats the, you know, yeah, demon beats lady. The, Beats the crap out of her. <laughs> yeah. The, so yeah, the two most cringeworthy moments were the knife, oh, yeah. knife in the face, shovel. and then the shovel to the head. Yeah. That, that second one, it was just like, oh, and you could hear the audience all just go Ugh, at the same time. Yeah. So very interesting. Um, but it wasn't gore porn throughout mm-hmm. the entire no, no, film. No, I think it was used like. sparingly. Yeah. And really for shock value. Yes. And then it moved on to yep. pretty snowfall. Yep. Uh, I like this movie a lot. I'm giving it a thumbs up. I think if if you've already seen the movie, which hopefully you did because we don't want to ruin everything for you, <laughs> um, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. I give it a thumbs up. I say that it's fresh. What about is you? It's fresh. Yeah. I would say that it's fresh. Also, it's just like uh, you know San Andreas. Right? We came back after San Andreas <laughs> this, this summer, and I thought it was garbage. And you're like, wait, hold on, let me tell you why it was great. Yeah. And uh, same thing with here. I think if I would have gone home. And then just sat. I'm like, it was not good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, getting to talk to you about it and um, getting to see where you're coming from and why 
it actually succeeds yeah. in the story. I mean, don't get, don't get me wrong. San Andreas was still an awful movie, but oh, yeah, yeah. for what it was trying to be, it was yeah. exactly that. And for what this movie is trying to be, it's exactly that. Right, right. And that is a good thing. So I was I was really interested to see what people's thoughts mm-hmm. on this are. So if you've gone and watched this, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Okay. I think the cinematography alone is wonderful to look at. That's why I really want to watch this again. Of course, I thought, I'm going to really watch this in widescreen. Apparently, I'm not going to be able to watch it in widescreen. We'll watch it exactly I'm going to watch it like we watched it. But um, I think I'll probably try to rent this when it comes out Mm -hmm. and get some people to watch it over my house. And and I really think at at this point, if I really think since it's October still and you've got time, I really think you two should sit down and watch The Shining. I should. And I think you two should really sit down and watch Pan's Labyrinth. Probably. And you've we've seen The Exorcist, right? You've seen no. that one. You haven't seen The Exorcist? Uh-huh. Sit down and watch The Exorcist and The Omen. Oh. Especially The Omen, because it'll make sure that you don't want kids. Oh, great, because we were just talking <laughs> about those today. But <laughs> <laughs> isn't the one that they, they all yell Damien yeah, and stuff? Yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I would say go for some, I mean, um, of those that I've mentioned, Pan's Labyrinth is the tamest. Okay. Right? Uh, then you would probably have... Um, I think The Shining is the second. Oh, okay. Then you have The Exorcist, which is um, disgusting, but it's not like widespread disgusting mm-hmm. horror. And I'd say disgusting, but I mean like um, the events are essentially contained to one room. Okay. And then The Omen, I think, is the most terrifying of those four because <laughs> it is talking about the birth of the Antichrist <laughs> and everything, the, the ability to control everything that's going on around him on yeah. the global so- side. And so I think that one's probably the most horrifying. but. They're not, they're not gore porn. Okay. Uh, they are not, I mean, a lot of the, the horror is mental. Okay. And so I think that you two, mm. you and your wife would enjoy all four of those movies, but I definitely think you yourself should watch some more Del Toro movies if you haven't seen them. Yeah. Because I think that'll make you understand kind of where he's coming from. Okay. And then I really, really think that you need to watch The Shining. All right. Because I'll I th- do it. Because The Shining, and it's been a long time since I've done that. Maybe we should do that and all of us sit down. Maybe we can get Matthew and Rodrigo and uh, whatnot back and, and do a review of The Shining. Yeah, and we then, can do that. Um, and then I think, also think you should also watch the, the documentary one about all the subliminal stuff. Oh, The Room, whatever, yeah, whatever. Room it's on 13 or, or whatever. 123 or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. I think you should watch that too. All right. So, um, but yeah, definitely The Shining, I think you should check out. Yeah, we we should we'll, we'll, we should do that for this month. You know, it's, it's October. We should probably watch something other super scary. Uh, out this week, Bridge of Spies. Yeah. Any interest in seeing that? It's got really good ratings. I haven't seen anything about it. It's Spielberg and Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of. It's in actually fewer theaters than Crimson Peak is. I'm surprised it was at ours. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a wide release. It's 2,800 theaters uh-huh. for Bridge of, Bridge of Spies. Oh, Crimson well, Pe- Peak is 2,900 theaters. So oh. uh, Goosebumps, 3,500 theaters. Holy crap. Or, yeah. And then we've got Woodlawn, which is 1,500. That's the, uh, the hell is that Some one? football Football thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then next week, Jim and the Holograms, The Last Witch Hunter, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. Oh, that looks terrifying. Rock the Casbah. And then we have to close out uh, close out October, Our Brand in Crisis, which is the Sandra Bernhardt movie. Or not Sandra Bernhardt, uh, Sandra Bullock. Two <laughs> different people. Um, and then The Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Which looks funny. It does look funny. So I think we could probably slip The Shining in there somewhere. Yeah, we'll, we'll find a good place and we'll throw it in. Yeah. 
Um, so good. I think that's a good. I mean, I'm, again, I think people's reaction to this is going to vary widely. It's depending on what their uh, expectations are going in, mm-hmm. but it's definitely, I think, worth going to seeing, especially on the theater because it looks so nice up yeah. on the screen. Oh yeah, it does look nice on the screen. It really so, does. So when you faithful spoilerites and Zach on film listeners watch Crimson Peak, head over to MajorSpoilers dot com to find this podcast posting page to give your thoughts about this film down in the comment section below. I bet you have some pretty good ones. Let's get them out there. Let's talk about this film. While you're over there, click on that Amazon.com link. I just used it today. I had to buy my brother a tripod. He wants to start doing trick shot videos because he watches YouTube all day. So I bought him a tripod for his birthday. I uh, used that link. It didn't cost me any extra, Steven. Hey, that's great. Uh, but a little bit's going to go back to major spoilers. Yay. Uh, so hopefully when my brother becomes a millionaire off his ping pong ball trick shot videos... I'll make him donate even more to you. All right. <laughs> uh, so do that. You can go buy all of your Hollow- Halloween movie fixes over Amazon again. It's not going to cost you any extra. Help Angel Spoilers out that very, very simple way. Uh, so next week, we could be talking to Shining. We could be talking something else. But we'll definitely be talking film next week on Zach on Film. Podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment LLC.